Did you know that the book of Hebrews is the least preached on book in the Bible? I didn't know that until this last week. I was just reading and it said that's the uh, fewer pastors preach on that book than any other book. And the reason is because it's more difficult to understand than most books. And so I'm looking forward to preaching on it. Also, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the topic that's written about book-wise and preached on less than any other topic uh, as far as a doctrinal topic in the Bible is the judgment seat of Christ. Very, very few preachers ever preach on that. In fact, there's a lot of people that become adults and never heard anything on the topic, and you go down and look in Bible bookstores, Amazon, Christian section, look at the topics that are there, and it's like one of the very least books written, topics written on or sermon topics preached on. I think about it all the time. I read about it all the time. I memorize verses about it all the time. All day long, I'm thinking about the day I die or Jesus comes and I stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. It's what drives me every day. Every morning when I get up, I say, today, Jesus, this could be the last day I live, and I want to live it in such a way that when I stand before you, I hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to, I want to live today as if it's the last one I have. And then tonight, when I put my head on my pillow, I'm going to say, Jesus, thank you for the day. I'm not sure I'll wake up in the morning. If I don't, I look forward to seeing you. And so every day, every day, every day, I remind myself of that event. Uh, it's a significant event in the life of every Christian. We're going to stand before him and we're going to be rewarded, recompensed for the deeds we've done in the body. We're going to take those in with us to heaven and they're going to be ours forever. It's going to be a huge difference when we get there uh, as Christians from top to bottom. First Corinthians says, as star differs from star in glory, so we will, when we get there, in heaven. And so there's not much thinking about what happens. We'd like to kind of ignore that. I was listening to a sermon. I listen to sermons while I'm riding my stationary bike. I ride every night for an hour. It's what keeps my Parkinson's at bay and keeps me young looking and, and uh, my beard from getting too gray. But uh, I, I, I watch sermons while I'm riding my bike now and YouTube, different places. And I was watching one and it was just one that I just grabbed. It was a uh, uh, guy, and the title was Question and Answers on the Book of Hebrews. I thought, well, this ought to be cool. And it was a college-age guy to college-age kids. And, uh, and they were asking questions about the book. And one of the kids says, I'm an atheist. It seems strange that he was at that meeting, but he made that announcement. And this guy speaking said, what happens when you die? He said, I just turned to dirt. And then he says to him, What's your, uh, what drives you? What motivates you? What's your, you know, what kind of gets you jazzed up in life? He's, I mean, what, do you have any standards, any rules, any guidelines? So he said, I just try to be good and love people. And I just, the, 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 what happened next was so cool. The speaker said, why? He said, well, it's the right thing to do. He says, who said? Is that... Is there something you made up? Where'd that come from? Well, it just seems like it's right. Why? I mean, it didn't take just about 30 seconds, and he had this guy just backed up into a corner, like, you got any authority for all this opinion that you just expressed on loving people, being good, being nice, and you do that, and then you just turn into dirt at the end of your life? Really? He said, you know, what I found is that most people just don't like to think about it, so they ignore it. They just kind of make some foolish statement like they turn to dirt. 
uh, because they don't know. But there is an awful lot written in the Bible if you want to take that as God's word, as authority about what happens when you die or Jesus comes back and ought to control us because eternity is eternity. A million years is a long time and it's just getting started. I'm 70 here in another month or so and I may have 10 good years left and then forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He's no fool who pays a huge price now to change eternity for the better. And so, but people just don't think about it, don't, don't want to think about it. I was reading about a person who got ready to do income tax for the very first time, and it was intimidating, and they didn't know what to do, and it was, so they just decided to postpone it. So they didn't do it. You know, they actually got by for about five years of not doing income tax before finally uh, caught up with them, and then they paid a pretty hefty price. I forget the percentage of, of penalty they paid and what they owed. It was a, not a good deal. So did ignoring it, not thinking about it, change anything? No, it, it came due. So the, the day I die, the day you die, the day Jesus returns, we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says all of us are going to stand there. It's not an issue of getting into heaven. It's an issue of what happens when we get there. And it's a big, big deal. There's a lot written about it if we discover it. So in your notes, number one, the goal of the Christian life is to grow. To grow. To become as much like Jesus in character as is possible. So that's my ultimate thing, to grow every day, to grow, to become more like him in character. I've identified 26 different character traits that I go over. I take one a week, 26, I can go through them twice in a year, and I think about who I am, where I am, what I can do to grow in those, you know, patience, gentleness, uh, 26 different ones, and I want to be like Jesus, and so I just focus in on some to be able to do that, because I'm going to... I don't have a lot of time left. Hebrews 6, 1, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, that's, you know, uh, basic stuff. Let's press on to maturity. Press on to maturity. Uh, let's make it our goal, our purpose. Press on to maturity. Matthew 5, 48, therefore, you are to be perfect. That doesn't mean sinless. It means like Christ in character. Philippians three twelve. not that I have already obtained it, that is, become like him, or I've already become perfect, I, I press on, I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He saved us for a purpose, not just to get us into heaven, but that we might become like him in character. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on to become like him in character. Number two, what we are in character when we die or when Jesus returns is what we are for all eternity. Now, I repeat this to myself all day long. What I am, who I am, my character, when Jesus comes, that's who I am. So the average Christian ignores that. Ah, they think, when I get there, I step into glory, I'm going to get fixed. Whatever my problems are, Jesus will fix them. Well, that makes life a joke, makes it a farce. What's the purpose of everything that happens to you to develop character? 
Why does it admonish us to consider all trials joy so that we grow to become like Christ in character? He's going to fix us anyway when we get there. Fact is, when we step into glory, we're cooked. Who we are is who we are. What we are is what we are. And some are going to step into heaven. They're going to be babies. Their character is like a zero. They haven't grown much while they've been here. And others are going to be full-grown like him in character. Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom, a character that's like Jesus. Number three, our character level in eternity determines the quality of our relationship with him, with Jesus. So why is it that he wants us to grow? Well, because he wants to fellowship with me. That's why he created us. That's the plan way back in the beginning when nothing existed, not an angel, not an atom, nothing. There was a point at which everything being created didn't exist, and a plan was, was arrived at by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to create us and to provide an environment whereby we could grow and we would live with him forever and ever. Fellowship, you, 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 you like someone, you're... You, you're you communicate with them. You understand. And, and so we're created beings. We're far less than what God is. And so he created the world whereby we grow in this world to become like him in character so that we can enjoy him and he can enjoy us because we're, we, we understand each other. And that's what I want. Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, the church. That's us sanctify her, that is to make us holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself, present to himself. At some point, there's going to be sort of like a wedding, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or blemish. That's the goal. There'll be some, there'll be some parts that are grown, mature. Others are going to be babies. For if we truly love Jesus, we ought to want to be close to him as close to him as possible and not just be content with getting into heaven. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, Pastor D, I appreciate, you know, you're talking about the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards and all that cool stuff, but I don't care. I'm just interested in not going to hell and going to heaven. If I get to heaven, that's, boy, I, I don't, that's, that's an amen. I'm, I'm totally content with that. Who I am, what I am, what I do, where I live, none of that really matters to me. I'm just I'm just satisfied with heaven. That's all I really care about. And so the question is, is do you love Jesus? You love Jesus? Really? And you're content with getting there to be a baby and not really be able to fellowship, communicate, understand? John 14, Jesus says this, Do you not know? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Yeah, cool place. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I am, there you may be also. That's an amazing statement of his love for me, desire for me to be with him, to fellowship, uh, to commune with him for eternity. So we're going to be with him, but we need to be like him. So we understand him and he understands us. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but just as, as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which, ha which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, for those who love him. I mean, it's going to be a great place. God has just gone crazy preparing, uh, but it's for those who love him. 
<laughs> Revelations 3.20. By the way, this is not a salvation passage. People use it to lead people to Jesus. It's written to a lukewarm church, those that are kind of drifted away. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I'll dine with him, he with me. That's what he wants. He overcomes. He overcomes. That's uh, the Greek word nikeo, which is where Nike gets its name. It means to win, to conquer, to be a champion. He overcomes. I will grant to him to sit down with me, with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's what Jesus wants. He wants fellowship. He wants intimacy. He wants communion with us. Our character, number five, our character determines what we'll be doing and accomplishing in eternity. Now, you talk about naive. You ask people, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Uh, I person say it's going to be sort of like a forever retirement. I mean, how long can you do that before you get bored out of your head? A forever retirement. I mean, you just do nothing? Forever? Come on. So, what are you going to do? What determines that? Do you get a job from Jesus when you get there? Something to do that matters? A responsibility? Uh, you know, I think some people are getting to get there and they're going to shovel horse manure. Uh, there's horses in heaven and we're going to be riding them. It says, uh, now it's this, you know, allegory, but somebody's got to shovel up that stuff. I did enough of that. I'm going to have a little better job than that. Hopefully that's what I'm aiming for. Revelation 2.26, He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Authority will rule with him. Number six, our character level in eternity determines how much joy we will have. So again, you, you, there's a lot of fuzzy thinking about when we step into eternity. Ask the question to people. So when we all get there, you are happy, I'm happy, you have joy, I have joy. Is it pretty much across the board the same? Is it an equal kind of a deal, or is there going to be some difference in what we experience once we get there? Well, I don't know. It seems like we just all get the same. Um, there's a lot written in the Bible about what happens when we step into eternity. And one of the facts is that the level of joy we experience when we get there is vastly different based on how we've lived our life and how we've served. Um, number seven, a foundational character trait is self-control. I mentioned 26 of them. And there's a couple that are like, you've got to have them. Endurance, self-control, self-control. We grow. Uh, and if we don't have it, we're going to struggle in all of the others. So as we pursue the character of Christ, one of the character traits we ought to think about in our own life is self-control. How are you doing in that area uh, of living your life? 1 Corinthians 9, don't you know, don't you know, that means this is important, get it, that those who run in a race all run, only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games like the Olympics exercises self-control in every detail of their life, exercises self-control. Why? So they can win a prize, a gold medal, but it won't last. But we, an imperishable, that is, we exercise self-control to win a prize that will last forever for all of eternity. What's the prize? The prize is character. It's 
relationship with Jesus. It's joy. It's a great job. Therefore, because I'm working for a prize that will last forever, I don't run in such a way as not without aim. I don't box as if beating the air. I discipline my body. That's self-control. I discipline me, make it my slave, so that after I've preached to all of you, I might not be disqualified for the prize, for the reward uh, that I receive when I get there. Second Peter chapter 1. Now, for this reason, apply diligence in your faith. You trust Jesus. You believe Jesus. You're in. You're a child of God. Uh, with diligence, add to your faith moral excellence, and to your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours, these character traits are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, naive, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Number eight, every day we fight the devil, his demons, the world, all the stuff in it, our own sinful flesh. So we have an everyday struggle with the devil and the world and our own flesh. The level of self-control determines whether we win or whether we lose. So occasionally someone will say to me, Pastor, what about we just trust Jesus and he gives us his strength? My response is, look around. Every believer, Christian, you know, our church, other churches, and identify those you see that are living life with victory and power and strength, walking in the power of Jesus successfully every day. How many of those people do you know, do you see? Is it a kind of a rare deal or is it pretty common? So here's the thinking that's faulty. We tend to think that it's uh, an event. I go from zero to a hundred in a single sermon. And it's a process. It's a growing process. Little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit. You, we, we gain the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in us. We walk in the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. But it's not a one-hour event. It's an all-lifetime principle where we apply the principles of the Word of God and thereby grow strong and get stronger. And one of the areas of strength is our level of self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But it's not a single event. It's a every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. We grow and we grow and we grow. First John 2, 14, I have written to you, young men, because you're strong. You're strong, and the Word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. That'd be cool to say that for yourself, wouldn't it? 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 7.15, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. Romans 7, again, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The willing, the wanting, the desire is present, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want, I do not do. I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Why? Well, that's because of our sin nature. So we have this devil and these demons and the world and the stuff and the, the flesh, and it's an everyday deal of fighting and struggling and conquering, and uh, we want to grow strong. Number nine, we want to gain self-control over our emotions. So you've heard me say this as one of my mottos from when the kids were little. You don't have to act the way you feel. You don't have to act the way you feel. Most do. 
Most do, but you don't have to because you gain self-control over your emotions. You feel anger, you don't have to talk angry. You feel anger, you don't have to act angry. You feel angry, you don't have to treat people rudely. You can exercise self-control and do the right thing in spite of the way you feel. The emotion is inevitable. You're going to feel angry all day long, every day, but you don't have to let it control your life. Uh, that's what we want. Um, Proverbs 16:32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures the city. If self-control over your spirit, over your emotions and your life. Uh, number 10, we want to gain self-control over our tongue. The words that we speak out of our mouth. You ever think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I wish I could take that one back. Uh, we tend to talk before our brain gets in gear. We allow the circumstances and people to stir us and to provoke us, and we say things. James chapter 3 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That means his character is like that of Jesus, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body. And verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. My tongue, yours, is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, sets on fire the course of our life, set on fire by hell itself. So I want to grow in self-control uh, so that I say words that edify and build up and don't tear down and don't hurt. Number 11, we want to gain self-control over our thoughts. We have thoughts that are bitter, angry, selfish, immoral, and and often they just go wherever because nobody knows. Nobody knows what you're thinking. And so there's not that much self-control over it. But the Lord Jesus knows what I think. And I want to gain self-control over all of my thinking. Second Corinthians 10.5, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I, I want that to be true of my life. Number 12, we want to gain self-control over our sexual urges. We live in a day and age in which that has sort of gone out the window. And so we are sexual beings with desires and urges and temptations, and I want to have total control over that. I was reading this week by, about one of my heroes as a pastor. I read every book he wrote. I listened to sermons. I probably listened to a hundred of his sermons over the years and just come out. He's had all kinds of uh, issues in his life with women other than his wife. And I thought, how in the world did he keep that under wraps all these years? And how could a guy stand up and preach like he did with that in his past? And I think, man, I'm 70. Lord, I don't have a long ways to go yet. Help me. Help me to finish well. I don't want to blow it now. And so self-control, self-control, it's a key. Number 13, uh, uh, Romans 6, 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you would obey its lusts. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. That's self-control. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Flee immorality. Flee it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. 
the immoral man sins against his own body. I've got to tell you this funny story. Uh, was in Sierra Leone, West Africa, building a building, and we were in a motel. Their motels are really, really, uh, I don't know, they wouldn't even get a fraction of a star. And I had this knock on the door, and there was a lady. She said, uh, would you like a massage? It was about midnight. And I opened the door, and there was a whole group of us from the church went to build, and just the next room down, there were three guys from the church uh, that were buddies. And I said, well, how you doing? I said, no, thanks. I'm good. But see that door right down there? Go knock on that door there and uh, tell them I sent you. So she goes down there. I said, there's three of them. So she walks down the door, knocks on the door. I could tell she's kind of excited. And they, one of the guys opens the door, and she talks, and, and then he leans his head out and looks up the hall like. <clears throat> Thirteen, we want to gain self-control over our desire for more. That is greed. I've got, oh, I don't know, a dozen fishing rods, but I spotted one the other day that I really need. First Timothy 6, 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Oh, here's the one that'll get some of it. This is my biggie, 14. We want to gain self-control over our appetite. Man, if I could get that one. I lost 30 pounds on my bicycle trip. Went two months, rode 3,281 miles and lost 30 pounds. And that's not been that long ago. Got home the 1st of July, and I am embarrassed to tell you, where I'm at now. Here's a diet. Here's one that'll work. Proverbs 23, 2. Put a knife to your throat <laughs> if you are a man of great appetite. I don't know what you call that diet. I bet it works. 15. We grow consistently, not by trying harder, but by faithful and systematic training. Now, this is a key principle that you hear me say over and over and over, but it's amazing how many times I hear people say, Pastor, I'm trying. No, 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 no. That doesn't change anything. Trying harder doesn't help you to grow. Training. Training. It's just like deciding to run a marathon. If you're going to run a marathon, you train, and you know that's what you need to do. Otherwise, you won't finish. And so you train systematically, you train smart. You, little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, systematically, every day moving in that direction, just a skosh. Not a lot, because you've got this program that you do faithfully, uh, never, never missing. 1 Corinthians 9 again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. That is, I've got a plan, a system. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body, make it my slave. I train, I train, I train. 16, Spartan warrior motto. He who sweats the most in training bleeds less in war. I like that one. He who sweats the most in training bleeds less in war. That's all about training. It's all about training. So what's your training? What's your training? What's your system? What's your plan? What's your program? 
What is it that you're doing to grow every day, to become stronger, to become stronger in self-control, to become more like Jesus? Let's press on to maturity. And that's not just waking up, not trying harder. It's a plan. It's a system. It's just like running. It's just like boxing. It's like any sport that you would take. You would know what to do in order to get better. So what are you doing to get better, to be more like Jesus? Number 17, the most effective weights for growing and self-control are the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, they're called disciplines because your flesh hates to do them. Your flesh hates to do them. That's why very few people faithfully do the basic disciplines of the Christian life. And so those disciplines that you faithfully do day in and day out, those are what develop the character of Christ in you. Hebrews 5.11, concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain. You've become dull of hearing. But though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should have grown quite a bit by this time. But you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes, partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness, that's the Bible, is an infant. Not physically, but character-wise. is just a baby. Solid food is for the mature, the grown-up, who because of practice, because of practice, 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 training, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Eighteen, some of the spiritual disciplines are Bible reading. So, what's your plan? Mine is to read 13 chapters a day, 300 verses, the book of Hebrews every single day. It takes uh, about 27 minutes, and I do it uh, every day. And uh, I, I memorize Bible verses. I read where if you have Parkinson's, one of the things that inevitably happens is you become senile. Your thinking gets muddled, and I don't want that to happen. So one of the things you can do is you can exercise your brain. Uh, and so I spend 30 minutes every day memorizing Bible verses. I'm highly motivated because I don't want to stand up here and not know where the book of Matthew is uh, or forget what my name is or forget what your name is. Uh, and so I want my brain to stay sharp uh, until I step into glory. And so I memorize 30 minutes every day. Um, it's a discipline. Private prayer, that is spending 15 minutes a day with God, just 15 minutes praying, interceding for others, Corporate prayer. We're going to pray, by the way, uh, September 10th through the 14th, 10 hours a day, 5 to 10, 5 to 10 for our church body. That'd be a great thing to plug into. That's a discipline. A lot of people don't go because our flesh hates to do it. Self-examination, confession of sin. That's simply where you think about who you are and you confess your sins to God. That's a discipline. Giving money. Uh, regularly giving to the work of God here at the church. Giving our time to Awana, to... Uh, children's ministry or whatever other ministry would pop up and it would have a, you'd have an opportunity to, to do it. Private worship, where you praise and thank God for what He's done for you. Corporate worship, seeking wisdom. And those are spiritual disciplines. And so those are the weights. Those are the training. That's the system. Nineteen, personal goals or commitments that we thoughtfully, thoughtfully make to help motivate ourselves to faithfully practice and train the disciplines is what works and so that point right there is, is what works. That is, you say, okay, read the Bible every day. How much? Where? When? That's your goal, your commitment that you make. Write it down. If you don't, you won't do it. 
I'm going to pray 15 minutes every day. When? Where? You're going to have a prayer notebook? Who are you going to pray for? Write it down. Have a plan. Have a strategy. Make a commitment. Do it. Uh, I'm going to miss five weekends a year, no more. Uh, write it down. Make a commitment. I'm going to get involved in teaching Sunday school. Uh, you just, what, am you, what, what, what are you going to do and how are you going to grow? And you make a commitment. Make it specific. Write it down. And that's the training that works. And you'll grow a little bit. You'll grow a little bit. You'll grow a little bit. And pretty soon Jesus will come back. You'll die. You'll step into heaven and he'll say to you, good job. Well done. And you will enjoy eternity forever and ever and ever. And you will have a great relationship with him. And you'll have a cool job. And uh, because you exercised here self-control and you grew to be like Jesus in character. Number 20, no one will ever faithfully practice the disciplines without accountability to others. You need someone else to help you, to encourage you, to hold you accountable. It's a basic law of life the way God made us. But our pride says, I can do it without you, thank you. I'll do fine. And you won't. That's just the way we are. But it takes some time to get together. It takes a little humility to pull that one off, but that's what is absolutely essential if you're going to grow. Susan Williamson's going to tell us about her accountability. You know, I'm not a shy... Is it on? I'm not a shy person, but being up here makes me really, really nervous. And usually I try to think of something funny to say because if I hear you all laugh, it encourages me. But this morning I couldn't think of anything, so I'm going to try this. I love you. I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm still really nervous and shaking. Um, I've always struggled with faithfully reading my Bible. I've been attending JBC for 31 years, and every one of these sermons is the best one I've ever heard. Oh, I'm really shaking. Um, and like Patty, I can fill in all the blanks of the notes before he starts. Through the years, I've heard him say, read your Bible every day, every day, every day. I wish I had a stand for this. And even though I know how important it is, my flesh doesn't want to. Every year I start out strong, and then as the year goes on, I get flabby and read less and less, and I end the year very frustrated. The only year I've read the Bible through was in 1988, when JBC was still very small, and our church made a goal for 88 people. You're going to get me a stand? (laughs) You're going to hold it for me? Oh, thank you. The only year I've read the Bible through was in 1988 when JBC was still very small and our church made a goal for 88 people to read through the one-year Bible. Periodically, Dee would have some, something at church service for us to measure how, how we were, if we were current in our reading. I remember one time there was cakes in front of the stage with 88 candles. Everyone who was current on their reading went up and lit a candle. I did miss some days that year, but I made sure I was always current on Sunday because of that accountability. In November last year, I pondered this and why the things I've tried since then haven't worked. 
After much thought, I decided, I decided to start an accountability Facebook group. About mid-December, I posted a request in the JBC Ladies Facebook group for eight to ten ladies to join me in a Facebook Bible reading accountability group for 2018. Very quickly, ten ladies said yes. Each lady set their own reading goal. Most of us are using the Read Scripture app. We started on January 1st, and we all daily check in that we've read. It's very simple. Around 9 p.m., someone posts a reminder and tags anyone who has not checked in. This is working so well. I'm so excited to say that I've not missed a day this year. Out of 11 of us, over half have not missed a day, and those that have have not missed very many, and we're all current in our reading goals. Everyone in the group is excited on how much of a difference this accountability has made. It's a great group of ladies, and their faithfulness has made all the difference for me. This is a very simple way to hold each other accountable, and if you want to start one of these groups, I suggest that you keep it small to make it easy to know who's checked in. I'm so excited to have finally found a way to be successful in this area of my life, and I appreciate the 10 ladies who have helped me. Thank you. So you can think about where you are, how you're doing, how you're growing, and uh, don't be naive. It doesn't help just to push it off and ignore it and hope things will turn out all right. Uh, You need to accurately evaluate who you are, where you are, what needs to change in your life, and then make it happen. And uh, there's so many opportunities here for you to connect, uh, make goals, leadership class is what it's about. There's all kinds of things that you can proactively do other than just to coast and tread water till Jesus comes. You want to press on to maturity every day. Uh, make that your goal. That's what you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you so much for giving us the free gift of eternal life. Uh, Jesus, you paid the price. You gave us the gift, and now you're desire for us is that we grow, we press on to maturity, that we don't stay an infant, a baby. And I pray that you'd stir us, each one of us. And uh, Lord, you've granted us everything we need. You've given us the power. You've given us the resources. You've given us your word. But we have to choose. We have to choose. I pray that we would do that and that we would uh, faithfully practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life every day and grow because of that discipline that we gain through that. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.